Well, I just wanted to officially, uh, from my end, welcome you to our night service. It's really uh, great to have you here, particularly if you're new, welcome. Um, hopefully, I'll get a chance to say hello at some point uh, tonight. Um, I guess it's been, it has already been such an encouraging night. I mean, just to sing and worship together, it's been um, really amazing. But also to hear from Maddie. Thank you again, Maddie, for sharing uh, some of your story. Uh, it's just really encouraging to, to hear what's going on in your life. So thank you um, for that. Um, so I don't know about you, but it's almost the end of Feb, and it's feeling like this year is going really fast. It's getting to that point where you're like, March sounds a lot further into the year than Feb, and we're almost there. And so I don't know if you've had um, New Year's resolutions. It's definitely been long enough that they've all failed. And if you ever th- anything like Signa and I, you've set new New Year resolutions, and they've also already failed. And so it just seems like an endless cycle of failure for us, but that's all right. We'll get there, we'll get there one day. Um, but I guess the question I wanted to ask you to start off tonight is, how, how is your year going so far? If you just to press pause on, on this year and reflect upon that question, how is your year going? Has it been what you would imagine it to be? Has it been as good as you hoped? Or maybe the better question than that is, how do you even measure something like that? How do you measure whether your year's been a good year or a, a not-so-good year? You know, maybe, what, what changes were you hoping for? You know, maybe you were hoping to get a new job, maybe you were hoping to earn a bit more money, maybe you were hoping for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe something else this year was your big hope. Um, maybe that's how you would measure the change that you desire. And I think this is a good question to ask. We're always, I think, asking this question to some degree or another. Well, tonight we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is going to show us what will ultimately make this year worth it. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's actually going to show us what true transformation looks like for the Christian's life. And it's going to show us that even if your year has gone completely opposite to what you wanted, even if it's falling down around you and things are just a mess, that if you can get this right, it will be all worth it. Really, tonight's passage is an outline for Christian Transformation 101. What is the Christian life about and how do we transform? That's what this passage will hopefully show us tonight. And it's going to take a bit of explanation, but I hope uh, as we hear, we'll actually be encouraged to keep pursuing this. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Colossians. Um, It would be great if you do have the text in front of you. We want to be a people who have the text in front of us. We don't want to just believe what people say. We want to be reading it for ourselves. It'll also be up on the screen, but I encourage you to actually look at it in front of you and, and, yeah, pay attention to what's going on. Now, this book of Colossians is an interesting book. It was a real letter written in real time over 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a small church in a town called Colossae, hence Colossians, makes sense, right? And so it was written to this small church, this small church that was in need of some encouragement and some direction. Because you see, at the time, there was a lot of competing ideas about what change looked like. And for this church in Colossians, some of those ideas had crept into the church, You see, one of the common ideas at the time was that you had to have some special kind of insight into a particular type of knowledge and reason in order to be able to change. You had to be clued into how the world really worked in order to master what was going on within you. 
Paul mentions this in Colossians 2.8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Another idea that was prevalent was the idea that our bodies are purely evil. And, they, and that what we actually need is just to, to punish ourselves and to di- discipline ourselves so severely that we can master all the evil stuff that goes on inside us. In order to achieve that, we have to just gain more discipline and follow the rules harder and make sure we get it under control. And again, Paul talks about this. Chapter 2, verse 20 to 23, he said, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the desires, the indulgences of the flesh. And this last point is really important. That last line, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So these things may have some kind of wisdom to them, but ultimately they have no power to deal with the sinful nature of our hearts. They have no power to deal with with what is evil within us. They might look wise, but they're not wise. And this church was getting all muddled up with what is true transformation? How do we change these worldly ideas we're creeping in? And you know, as a church, we're not any different than this church. We have the same influence around us, even though that's changed. We have the same messages that are preached, even though those messages have changed a little bit. You know, what would be a common message of our time? I I just wanted to put up a couple examples of things that that I hear quite often, and they sound really nice, but they don't exactly help when it comes to dealing with what is inside of us. This is a quote that I've heard many variations on. Keep choosing happiness daily and happiness will keep choosing you back. So now this sounds really nice and it may even have some truth to it. It may even have some truth to it, but it has no value in stopping what's going on inside of us. Another one that I found, this time by Alan DeGeneres. Again, it sounds great, but apart from the truth of Christ, it's not going to help. Find out who you are and be that person. Find that truth, live that truth, and everything will come. You know, this one's even better because it actually doesn't mention that you need to change. Just find out who you are and be that person. But do you know what this assumes? It assumes that who we are are good people. It assumes that we'll be able to live according to who we are, but it leaves nothing for the person who looks inside himself and sees that he wants to murder people, sees that he wants to constantly lie to people. What about that person? Are they supposed to just live according to who they are and everything else will come along with that? It doesn't work. These things sound nice and easy, but they're of no value in actually transforming us or helping us to transform But for those of us who are Christians in here, even though we may reject these ideas of change, it's easy to adopt our own warped view within the church of what change should be. We, like the Colossians, can have this idea that what the Christian life is really about is is outward change. We can focus on solely on outward appearance, our ability to look good before others, to be the good Christian, 
to focus so much on stopping sin and being disciplined and not actually focusing on what really matters. Or on the other side of things, the message of the world can creep in that we do just need to be who we are. As Christians, we can think that God has made me in a certain way and that in a sense, no matter what we are, we can express that. It sounds good, but it's dangerous because it doesn't deal with the sin that's in our lives. And so this was the dilemma for the Colossians, and this is the dilemma for us tonight. How do we actually change? How do we actually transform as Christians? And this is going to hopefully show us what that looks like. So Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, let's read through what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And so this passage, it begins straight out with saying, if then you've been raised with Christ. So something that we just need to point out immediately is that this process will only work if you are a Christian. This transformation process is only for those of us who actually know Christ. And I'm sure that the reality is for a lot of, some of us in this room, that might not yet be a reality. And I think we can fall into two groups of people. We can either be someone who would readily accept that we're not a Christian I mean, God's brought you here tonight, and that's really encouraging. He's doing something in your life, but you would say, I'm not a Christian yet. But then the other type of person in this room could be the person who is able to tell me all the facts. They're able to tell me that Jesus died and rose again. They're able to tell me some other things from the Bible. But that knowledge, that understanding has never had an impact on your life. It's never actually made a change in the direction of your life. Jesus is not your Lord. You're still your Lord. You still make the decisions of your life. And if that's you, then I would question as well whether you are raised with Christ. And it's important that we wrestle with these things. But the exciting thing is that this can happen for you today. Being a Christian is not some complicated process. Being a Christian is about understanding that you've sinned before God, that you've fallen short of his desires, that you've basically said, God, I want to do things my way and not your way. But then you've come to the understanding that even though that's true, even though you deserve God's wrath, Jesus himself has taken that upon you, upon himself. He has taken your sins upon himself, died with those sins, risen again, defeating death and sin, and giving you an opportunity, if you believe in that message, to have new life in Christ. And so that can happen for you tonight. 
And if you're being encouraged in that direction, I challenge you to come chat. Or perhaps even if you're just worried or concerned, I've never really seen this transformation, this change in my life, then also come chat. There's many people who would love to talk to you about that. But for those of us who are Christians, who have made this decision to trust and follow Jesus, let's hear what these verses have to say to us. So the first thing to notice is actually to look at what this verse is saying. I think sometimes we read scripture really fast. We need to slow down and think about what it actually means. This verse says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So what it's saying is that if you are a Christian here sitting in your seats listening to this message, you have been raised with Christ. And I wonder if you ever actually think about what that could mean. And what it means is that that Jesus, it's not quite correct just to say that Jesus died for your sins, that what actually happens when you became a Christian is that you died with Christ and you rose with Christ. And of course, I'm talking about spiritually speaking. None of us here have resurrected bodies, and if you do, let me know. But this happened spiritually to us. We are actually raised with Christ We are new creations, as we've already heard tonight. And in fact, everything about your position has changed. Everything about your life has changed. And we'll see this unfold as these verses continue. And it's really, it's an incredible thing to get your head around. If you can understand this, it makes such a difference. Let's keep reading. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And so we get two commands here. The first thing that this passage has to say about Christian transformation is to seek the things above and to set our minds on the things above. Set and seek, easy to remember. I hope you can see actually what are these verses are trying to do. They're trying to lift our eyes up. They're saying, stop looking at everything here and have a look at what's really going on, what's really true of your life. But before we get into what this actually means to set and seek our, our eyes and our minds on Christ, we actually need to understand why. Because this, for me, when I first understood this, it, it changes the reason Because it's not just that we need to do this because it's good for us to set our minds on things of Christ. There's actually something key in verse 3. For you have died, in verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. So what's the reason we set our minds and seek the things above? We do that because that's where we really are. That's the reality of who we are. We're with Christ, seated in the heavenly places. And that's why we seek him. We seek the things above because that's where our true self is. It's no longer here on earth. And that changes everything about why you do what you do. You're seeking Christ and his life and your life that's hidden in him. And you know, these verses... You know, to have bad news, it sounds like bad news, that you've actually already died as a Christian. You've died, but it's incredibly good news because it means that you've actually died to your old life. Maddie mentioned this. You've died to your old life. You've died to sin. Sin has no power and final authority over you as a believer. You've died, 
In fact, you've died actually to death itself. As much as that sounds weird, you're spiritually alive and you're alive forevermore. Our life is hidden with Christ. I don't know as you go about your week whether you've actually stopped and reflected what it means that your life is hidden with Christ. And when Jesus appears, we will appear with him. I hope you can wrap your head around this. This is such an amazing reality about being a Christian. It's what theologians call our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. When we believe in Jesus, we become united with him. When we believed in Jesus, we become united with him. And what this actually means is that we share so many wonderful things with him. We have his righteousness. We have become heirs with Christ. We have actually become sons, and, uh, sons of God in the same way that Christ is. God loves us in the same way that he loves Christ because we are united with him. It's such an amazing truth and it should give you such a sense of security because the only reason we could lose our salvation and be ununited with Christ is if Christ were to fail. But he won't fail. His position in heaven is secure. And this is something I preach to myself most often because our union with Christ makes all the difference. How does this affect your week when things go wrong? How does this reality bear upon your life when you're finding things hard, that you're united with Christ? What really is going on isn't the truth. You're hidden with Christ. And so this truth in itself reveals part of what it means to seek and set our minds on the things above. On, on the things above. And bring it to a really practical level. It's about pursuing Christ. It's about pursuing the wonders of Christ, all of the fullness of Christ, the amazing message that Christ gives us, and him himself. And honestly, really practical. I don't know if you know why we do certain things in church, why we read the Bible, why we, why we pray together, why we do communion. These things are all about seeking and pursuing Christ, our relationship with him. It's our daily pursuit of him. And so the question for us to think about, honestly, is how are we pursuing Christ? What does that look like in your week? Outside of coming to church, outside of being here, outside of maybe a small group, what does it look like for you in the realities of the hardship of everyday life and the good parts of everyday life to seek Christ and the realities of who he is? What does your pursuit of Jesus look like? And I think as Christians, we always need to be stopping ourselves and asking this question. Have we stopped pursuing Christ? Have we made it just about routine? It's so important. And this is ultimately the first and vital part of Christian growth. It's always about pursuing Christ, seeking and setting our minds on the reality of who he is. And really, what this all amounts to is that true transformation in the Christian life is first realizing that we have been truly transformed in Christ. True transformation, the first part, is understanding that we have been truly transformed in Christ. We need to understand that or the rest of this verse will make no sense and we'll go about it in the wrong way. So now... To be honest with you, if we left this passage here, I feel like it would be a little bit easier. 
If, we, if the passage just ended, it seems pretty straightforward, not too difficult. But the reality is that there is a complication, and we all know it. There are things that still hinder us in our life. There are things that we still have going on in our lives that, that we know that even though this wonderful reality is true, that the everyday grind of life is, is different. It's, it's hard. We see things in our lives we don't like. And, and Paul begins to address this in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So put to death what is earthly in you. That doesn't sound quite as nice as the verses we've just been reading. It sounds a little uncomfortable. But what does it mean? I mean, we've just talked about that we've died with Christ, and as we stated, part of that is the reality that we have died to sin. Sin has no power over us. Jesus has dealt with the punishment of our sin. So what does this verse mean that it says, put to death our earthly desires or the sinful parts of us? What does it mean? Isn't it already dead? Well, it comes back to what we stated before. We live in this kind of tension between the now and the not yet. Yes, sin has been dealt with by Christ. Christ has defeated sin. He took your punishment upon the cross. But we still live in these sinful bodies. We live in what the Bible would call the flesh. And we still have a tendency within each one of us to be opposed to the things of God. We still have this tendency to rebel against what God says. And I don't think I have to preach this at you. I think we see this in each one of ourselves. We see that we have this natural bent and this bent towards something that is not good. And this verse kind of just lists them out. It lists some very general problems that probably I think all of us have experienced at some time or another. Like it mentions sexual immorality, which basically is any kind of sexual perversion outside of what God says, whether that be looking at porn to thinking about uh, things that you shouldn't be thinking about, whether it's actually any sexual activity outside of marriage. These things are what God says are not right. So that fits into the category of sexual immorality. We need to kill these things, it says. It talks about evil desire, which covers a lot of things, a broad range. It speaks about covetousness, which is desiring what someone else has, jealously longing for what other people have, rather than being content with what we have in Christ. Now, we don't need to go into these things in detail because we actually know these things in our lives. I probably don't need to tell you what your biggest battle is. I probably don't need to to point out all these things because you see that in your life. And so the more important question is, what does it mean for us in practice to put to death what is earthly in us? Because I think this is something that we really misunderstand. You see, we need to take this passage in the context of what it's actually saying. This passage is not saying that slowly as Christians, our old self is dying and our new self is coming to life. That's already taken part in Christ. It's not saying that as a Christian, we need to be more disciplined to stop doing the bad things because the bad things are bad for us. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not just about following the rule book because that's what God tells you to do. It's more than that. No, it's understanding what we have just said. You actually are a new creation in Christ. Corinthians says you are a new creation. You have died and risen with Christ. 
which means these actions, these sinful desires, these very things that we hate are actually opposed to who we really are. You see, this is the point of the whole Christian life. It's about living out in the everyday life what has already been made true of us in Christ. Let me say that again. Transformation in the Christian life is about living out in everyday life what has already been made true of us in Christ. We are already holy in Christ, so we need to live holy. We are already righteous in Christ, so we need to live like that. This is who we are. This is what Christian transformation is. And so it's in this context that these verses say, put to death what is earthly in you. It's in this context that these verses say this. You have to put to death ultimately anything that isn't like Christ. So the command here is to put to death. But but again, we're still left with the question, how? How does this actually work? What does it actually look like in my Christian life to put things to death? Well, I think... We need to understand that firstly, we don't put to death sin by focusing on sin. We don't put to death sin by focusing on sin. Again, this is not what these verses say. And I think it's easy as Christians to spend a lot of time fixating on our struggles, to be constantly turning them over, constantly being concerned by them, constantly feeling ashamed by them. And I don't think that is the way that you beat sin. And it's not exactly a bad desire. I know for many of us in this room, we're not satisfied with what we struggle with, so we want to beat it, but the way to beat it is not to focus on your sin. It doesn't work. You don't kill sin by focusing on sin. You kill sin by focusing on Christ. And these verses have already told us that. They've already told us where our eyes need to be. They've already told us where our mind needs to be. It's not on the sin, it's upon Christ and all the reality of who he is. And what he's done for us. Because ultimately we don't actually have the power in and of ourselves to beat sin. We didn't have the power to bring ourselves into a relationship with God. We definitely do not have the power to transform ourselves in our relationship with God. We need Christ's power to do that. The power of the Holy Spirit within us to actually transform Colossians says that all wisdom and knowledge and power are in Christ. That's what Colossians is about, getting your eyes on Christ. A Scottish pastor named Robert Murray, I love this quote, said, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He can change you no matter what you're struggling with at this time. He has that power. It's not in your ability, it's in his. And he can do it, but you need to be looking to him and not your own strength. He has that power. And so this is the first aspect of putting to death. It's seeking Christ, seeking his power, keeping our eyes there and not getting consumed with the battle within us. I often fall into that trap of getting consumed by my own weakness, consumed by my own sin, and it just doesn't work. But, and this is important, there is a second element to this putting to death because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. And I think we fall into, again, serious error in this way. You see, Paul still uses very strong language in this passage when it comes to sin. It's, it's a violence about this language that he uses. It's not just 
Put it away if you can. It's put to death. It's, it's violent. It, he talks about in verse 6 that, that this is why the wrath of God is coming. I don't know if you've heard of that as a Christian, but the wrath of God is a real thing. It's not God uncontrollably losing his temper. It's a steady hate, hate, hatred towards sin and what it is, what it does to this world, how it corrupts us and the world. The wrath of God is coming. He talks about this in very harsh language so we won't get confused. Because you see, the other danger that we fall into is saying things that sound like this. I can't beat my sin. God just needs to step in and help me overcome it. While at the same time, we continue to walk in all the habits that put you in danger of that sin. I think as Christians, we can often be like a, an alcoholic who's trying to quit alcohol and who spends all his free time in the pub. And he keeps getting frustrated that he can't beat his alcohol addiction even though he's spending all his time in the pub. We feed our sin by not being fierce enough with it. You know, there is always room for extreme measures when it comes to sin. There is always room for taking it seriously and taking action upon your sin. But for many of us, we don't want to do that. And I think it's because we'd rather be able to get it under control than actually derive it of its power. We want to just get it under control. And it would just honestly be too inconvenient. And, you know, I've said this before, and I don't know what this looks like for you. You know, you all have different struggles. But, but as an example, and I've used this before, and I'll use it, use it again... For example, if you struggle with porn, then maybe you need to get off the internet. Maybe you need to just take a break for a few months. Will that be inconvenient for your life? Yes, it will be inconvenient for your life. Will it be hard? Will you have to make some adjustments? Yes. Will it ultimately solve your problem with sin? No. But it will free you up to enable you to get out of the pub and seek Christ and his power to overcome it. These things are a necessary part of our Christian life. Sometimes we have to be ruthless with our sin to take these practical steps. In fact, I would always say that we have to do that. But we do that with our eyes on Christ, seeking his power, and then taking these steps so that we can better do that. And so this is the second thing that Paul says. Put to death what is earthly in us. And we do this as a community. We do this by repenting, and turning to God and seeking his power. And finally, last thing, we don't have a lot of time left, but just quickly to cover this. In verse 10, he says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, I can't say it, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So we seek and set our minds on Christ. We put to death what is earthly in us. And finally, we put on the new self. Again, Maddie mentioned this, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. What is the new self? The new self is, again, what we mentioned, that we have a new life in Christ. We're no longer children of wrath. We're sons of God. You are perfect and spotless and blameless in him. We put this on in our lives. 
And again, like practically speaking, Shabu actually shared, shared this with me. He has a friend who, who every morning, actually, as he gets dressed, he preaches this to himself. As he physically puts his clothes on, he reminds himself that he's putting on Christ, his new identity. This is who he now is, and this is who he's going to live like today, this new identity. And so practically speaking, I don't know, again, what this looks like for you. How are you going to remind yourself about what Christ has done and the realities of who Christ is in your everyday life? How are you going to do that? Because we will just revert back to the old nature. We will do that if we're not constantly reminding ourselves of the new life in Christ. Each day it's a walk in this kind of transformation. And so this, this is a small insight. There's lots more in this passage. I encourage you to read this book. It's so encouraging. But this is a small insight to what Christian transformation looks like. True transformation seeks and sets our minds on the things above, understanding that transformation has already occurred in us through Christ. True transformation puts to death what is earthly in us by seeking Christ, his strength, and by taking serious actions to starve sin of its power. And true transformation puts on the new self each day and is being renewed to know God better. I encourage you to walk in this. I encourage you to to do this with those around you, to talk about this with one another, to encourage everyone to be transformed, each other to be transformed, to remind each other of what Christ has done. This is true Christian transformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is a lot um, in this, a lot in this passage, a lot that has been said, Lord, but um, I just pray that we'll take away the fact that we we need to seek you, Lord. Um, We need to understand the depths more and more of what Christ has actually done upon the cross, what Christ has actually done in our lives, that he has truly transformed us, that we are new creations if we know Christ. We have become whole new beings. Help us to live like that, Lord. Help us to put to death what is earthly in us. Help us to be really honest with ourselves. That If we're struggling, Lord, if tonight we're in a place where we're really just stuck in sin, I pray that we'll reach out, we'll be able to look to you for strength, to recognize that you've dealt with the condemnation and guilt of this sin. Lord, help us to seek your power. And also, Lord, help us to daily recognize who we now are. As much as this can be difficult, as much as we can forget, Lord, we can feel guilt and condemnation, we can forget who we are. Help us to remember and to put on this new self self, every day. Amen. We're going to sing a new song.